Let's chat about how to get what you need for your home when you don't have a lot of cash or credit. You can do that at Aaron's. Rent to own appliances, furniture, and tech from top brands like HP, Samsung, and Ashley. But say you don't need it anymore, no problem. At Aaron's, you can return your product at any time or even upgrade it for something new. Life's always changing. With Aaron's, your stuff can change right along with it. Keep it, return it, upgrade it. Aaron's fits your life instead of the other way around. Approval isn't guaranteed and some restrictions apply. See your local store for details. We are welcoming a new show to iHeart and the DraftKings YouTube channel. It is called Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano. It's an insider's look at the NBA and the culture surrounding the league. Every week, the five-time All-Star and the number one pick in the 2010 NBA Draft, John Wall will give his unique perspective on the hottest topics in the league and tell the best behind-the-scenes stories from his time in the NBA. So check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, the DraftKings YouTube channel, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere. Like in the parking lot at your kid's peewee championship game. A trophy bigger than your five-year-old is blocking the rear windshield of the car in front of you. As they reverse into you, you're stuck on defense. And if you don't have the right auto insurance coverage, this crash could drain your athletic fund. So switch to Allstate, save money, and get protected from mayhem like this. Based on coverage selected. Subject to terms, conditions, and availability. Savings vary. The volume. We're back with another week of football, and DraftKings Sportsbook is keeping us in on the NFL action with great offers every single game day. New customers can bet $5 and get $200 instantly in bonus bets. Throw five down on any of this week's epic matchups and walk away an instant Winner. And DraftKings isn't stopping there. All customers can take advantage of two new offers every single game day this September. Football's more fun when you're in on the action. So download the app now and sign up with code HOOPS. New customers can bet just $5 to get $200 instantly in bonus bets. Only on the DraftKings Sportsbook app, an official sports betting partner of the NFL, with code HOOPS. That's H-O-O-P-S. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY to 467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas. Licensee partner Golden Nugget Lake Charles in Louisiana. 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. See sportsbook.draftkings.com slash football terms for eligibility. Terms and responsible gambling resources. Bonus bets expire seven days after issuance. Eligibility and deposit restrictions apply. All right, welcome to Hoops Tonight here at The Volume. Happy Monday, everybody. I hope all of you guys had an incredible weekend. We are live on AMP, so if you're watching on YouTube or listening on our podcast feeds, don't forget that AMP is the very first place that you guys can get these shows. Continuing our power rankings today with one of my favorite young teams in the league. At number 16, the Minnesota Timberwolves. And then I've got a few mailbag questions for the end of the show as well. You guys know the drill before we get started. Subscribe to our YouTube channel. Follow me on Twitter at underscore JasonLT. Don't forget about our podcast feed at Hoops Tonight. And I need mailbag questions. So drop them in the YouTube 
comments. All right, let's talk some basketball. So a quick offseason recap for the Minnesota Timberwolves. They lost Jalen Noel. He's actually still a free agent right now, believe it or not. Torian Prince is now a Laker. They lost Austin Reeves as well. In the draft, they added Leonard Miller in the early second round, a G League Ignite prospect, a big, interesting forward prospect, basically. But he's super raw, super young, not really going to factor in the immediate future, but we'll see in the long run. They're also super thin at forward this season, so we might get to see a lot more Leonard Miller than you're probably expecting just by virtue of the, uh, the depth that they have at that position. They also signed Troy Brown Jr., a role player that I covered with the Lakers last year. Good defensive player. He competes and does his job. He's uh, kind of like a league average athlete, so he's going to compete and he's going to have the ability to stay in front of most ball handlers, but when he runs into the really high-end guys that are like bigger, stronger, faster than him, he can have some trouble that limits his defensive impact, but he's not going to hurt you on that end, and you can at least bet on him playing his ass off every time he's on the floor. He's a little streaky as a shooter, but he did have mostly a good shooting season with the Lakers last year, but there were high highs and lows. Like he briefly before the end of the season, it was like he couldn't miss for a while. And then at the end of the season, he couldn't make anything and and struggled shooting in the playoffs. So that's kind of like the nature of most role players, but he's not like a knockdown guy either. He finished the season at 1.05 points per possession in spot up situations, which is slightly above average. So you're going to get... quality bench play out of Troy Brown Jr. And that was kind of the thing with 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 Troy. It was like when he was in the starting lineup because of the issues the Lakers had with personnel before the trade deadline, it wasn't great. But when he kind of got slotted properly as just a guy who would play off the bench in a limited role, then he all of a sudden made all of a sudden made a lot of sense, right? Um, he's also a former lottery pick, so he does have a good amount of confidence and he's got a little bit of the off the dribble you know, juice, whatever you want to call it. He can make some plays off the bounce, and he will surprise you sometimes with the plays that he's able to make. He's perfectly fine bench wing. <clears throat> they also signed Shake Milton, who played with the Philadelphia 76ers last year. He's a spot-up shooter, shot 63% in effective field goal percentage on catch-and-shoot jump shots last year. He's not very good when you make him put the ball on the floor, though, and that's a big part of why he wasn't the best spot-up player that he could have been. He actually was right at about a point per possession in spot-up situations, five points per 100 possessions behind where Troy Brown Jr. was for perspective despite being a better shooter. Remember, attacking closeouts is an important part of spot-up situations, but he's a perfectly fine bench guard again, so a couple of decent bench players there. Their depth chart right now, at guard, they have Mike Conley, Anthony Edwards, Shake Milton, Nikhil Alexander-Walker is one of my favorite bench guards in the league. We're going to talk about him a little bit more later, and Jordan McLaughlin. Um... At forward, Kyle Anderson and Jaden McDaniels, then Troy Brown Jr., Wendell Moore Jr., and Josh Minot. And then the bigs, Rudy Gobert, Carl Anthony Towns, and the return of Nas Reed, who was a, a, a big loss for the Timberwolves at the end of the season last year. Their starting lineup is almost certainly going to be Mike Conley, Anthony Edwards, Jaden McDaniels, Carl Towns, and Rudy Gobert. Now, <clears throat> before we go any further, I want to talk about the cat situation for a minute because I've never been a fan of two big lineups. Um, I think whatever benefits you get from them are offset by some of the limitations that come along with it, by limiting your foot speed, limiting your overall perimeter juice in terms of the kind of aggregate ability to attack closeouts and play drive and kick basketball. And there's theoretically some upsides, right? Like theoretically that will help you on the glass, but this was not a good rebounding team last year. And in the long run, I tend to think that two big lineups – 
get exposed in a lot of different ways. And for the record, it didn't go well last year. They played with Rudy Gobert and Carl Towns on the floor uh, at the same time for 1,095 possessions last year, and they had a 0.9 net rating. So they were barely positive. And we saw a large sample size of Rudy Gobert at the center without Cat with their great perimeter defenders, and they kicked everyone's ass. Like, Kyle Anderson is one of the best defensive forwards in the league. He's just a very versatile guy. Is kind of a like a, a, a really uh, high IQ off-ball player. He defends well on the ball. He's not going to be in your top-tier perimeter defenders, but he's great playing passing lanes and in help defense. He's just a really smart defensive player. Jaden McDaniels might very well be the best perimeter defender in the league. He's certainly in that tier. If you're listing your top-tier perimeter defenders, the, the the very best, the guys are in the conversation to be the best, he's in that list, right? And then Anthony Edwards, it's a commitment thing, and it's an off-ball IQ thing, but he has the potential to be one of the best perimeter defenders in the league and had many stretches last year where he was. When you put those three guys next to Cat, or not Cat, excuse me. When you put those three guys next to Rudy Gobert, regardless of who the fifth guy was, they kicked everyone's ass. 1,224 possessions last year, plus 10.4 net rating. That's just a, that is a, a clear demonstration of how easy it is to get stops in the NBA when you have great perimeter defenders of many different archetypes and an outstanding rim protector. When you combine those two things, you become incredibly difficult to beat. Even if you do have offensive limitations, which they did, but Mike Conley was honestly a really nice fit with them when he came in at the trade deadline last year. And I mean, like we looked at Rudy Gobert in Utah, and a lot of people were talking about some of the limitations that Rudy Gobert had. But what did I always say? Those of you guys who followed the show for this long, like I, it wasn't Rudy Gobert's fault. The Utah Jazz had a horrible core of perimeter defenders. And like it's too much to ask to to blame everything on the rim protector when nine times out of ten he's getting pulled out in rotation. You know, he'd help on the first guy, but then it's drive and kick, drive and kick. Rudy Gobert's not at the rim anymore. And they'd give up layups and wide open threes. In a lot of cases, it would just be drive, Rudy Gobert help, kick out wide open three. And so at a certain point, like you got to look at the combination of the like everything that's happening on the defensive end of the floor. Rudy Gobert is an excellent rim protector, an excellent drop coverage big. So put him alongside great perimeter defenders that can get over the top of the screen and funnel them, funnel the ball handlers towards Rudy. You're going to get a lot of stops, and they did. Now, we're going to preview the team today as though Carl Towns is on the team. And they're going to bring him back. And they're, they have already to this point. But they're going to at least try. And there's a good reason to do that. They got a little bit of a sample size with um, with Carl Towns uh, coming into next season or coming into the end of last season when Rudy go or excuse me when Carl Towns came back from the calf injury, they got about a 156 possessions with Carl Towns and the starters I just mentioned. So Mike Conley, um, Anthony Edwards with Jaden McDaniels, Carl Towns and Rudy Gobert. That group of five guys played about a game and a half. In terms of overall total volume, they played over a longer stretch, but 156 possessions is about a game and a half. In that game and a half, they were amazing defensively, 100.6 defensive rating and a a bad offensive rating, 106.4, but still a plus 5.8 net rating. So what that tells me is there's enough of like a, a little bit of an interesting kind of production stat there from the end of last season for at least them to be like, let's try this thing. Right, But to be clear, I think that their best bet is to move Cat 
at the deadline or before then if a better opportunity presents itself, but for forward depth. Because if you look at their depth chart, they're actually really deep, right? Like, we look at the guards. We've got Mike Conley and Anthony Edwards, excellent guards, right? Shake Milton, a, g- a good bench guard. The kill Alexander Walker is one of my favorite bench guards because he's like a really good spot-up player and a really good point-of-attack defender. He's like the ideal off-ball guard because he can take primary point-of-attack assignments and he can play off the ball, knocking down shots and attacking closeouts. That's a great guard core, and I didn't even get to Jordan McLaughlin, who's a good guard prospect. So you've got five good guards, right? Go to the bigs. You've got Rudy Gobert, Carl Towns, Nas Reed. That's three starting-level NBA, NBA centers, right? But if I go to the forward position, it's Kyle Anderson and Jaden McDaniels, a really good duo, but then it's a huge drop-off to Troy Brown Jr. and Wendell Moore, Josh Minot, right? So at the end of the day, they're they're kind of like a surplus of bigs and not enough forwards. And then there's the just the overall basketball concept of trying to make it work with two bigs. There's also this massive sample size of no Carl Towns, and you're actually really good with Rudy Gobert at the center with all these perimeter defenders. You know, I look at the long run for this team in terms of offensive creation, and I look at this as a Anthony Edwards-led, bona fide superstar team. And we're going to talk about Anthony Edwards later, but he's ascending right before our eyes into true superstardom. Not only did he play amazing in that last playoff run, but, I mean, one series, but then he also shockingly became the best player on Team USA. Like, he was the best player on Team USA. Now, it wasn't a shock to me. If you guys remember, I I did my player rankings before Team USA, and Anthony Edwards was my highest-ranked player out of all the Team USA guys. So I expected it to be the best player. But, like, I'm one of the – like, I'm higher on Anthony Edwards than most people. In my player rankings list, when I had him at 15, a lot of people complained. And I'm not saying I'm right. I'm saying I'm just – I'm in a spectrum of opinion on Anthony Edwards. I'm higher on him than most. And he went in there and alpha-dogged all those guys. That team was built to be a Jalen Brunson and Brandon Ingram team. And he alpha-dogged Brandon Ingram out of the rotation because he couldn't play off the ball. So, like, Anthony Edwards is ascending. He is the fulcrum of this offense in the future. Mike Conley can help for a year or two while he's developing. Jaden McDaniels, who we're going to talk about later, he's got some offensive pop that he demonstrated last year. I look at this as a defensive-minded team centered around an excellent rim protector and outstanding perimeter defenders with a downhill threat. And in that situation, I want more perimeter players. I want more perimeter talent. Carl Towns can play on the perimeter. We know that. But it's not the same as having a real guard out there that can keep a driving kick system moving, as we know. And the truth is, is Carl Anthony Towns' spot-up numbers are not as as good as you would think. So I look at it in the long run as an Anthony Edwards-led team. And I think Carl Towns is your best vehicle to bring in the role players that could supplement that. Not this year, but in the next three to four years, I believe the Minnesota Timberwolves can contend for championships. That's how high I view Anthony Edwards in the context of an elite playoff defense. And so I think Carl Towns eventually needs to be moved. But again, we're going to proceed as though Carl Towns, uh, for the sake of this video, we're going to proceed as though Carl Towns remains with the team because he certainly will probably at least through the deadline or so um, and maybe even through the end of the season if things go well. So 
when I looked at the, uh, uh, I went back and I watched a full uh, a game this morning between the Timberwolves and the um, New Orleans Pelicans. One of the few games last year where we got our existing five, right? Conley, Edwards, McDaniels, Cat, and Gobert. And in that particular game, their defense was really impressive, and they ended up uh, they came back and won in the fourth quarter. But uh, the offense was a little bit clunky because, for the most part, Carl Towns does just spot up. Except for a handful of possessions where they'll throw it to him on the block for a post-up and a handful of possessions where they'll throw it to him at the elbow or at the free-throw line for a face-up, he's mostly playing off the ball. Which is, again, that's redundancy. That's a waste of what he's actually capable of. Carl Towns is it belongs in a system where he's the sole big. And for the record, and like... This is something I'm going to say in defense of Carl Towns. When the Timberwolves played with Carl Towns this year, and no Gobert, where he was the big, they were good. Plus four, net rating, in about 1,000 possessions, if I remember correctly. That's good. Carl Towns is a very good basketball player. But when I look at this particular team and their long-term ceiling, I look at it as a Rudy Gobert-anchored, four-out-one-in system. And so that that's kind of the direction I'd like to see them go. But again, it's a little clunky. It's it's a lot of um, it's a lot of like spreading the floor and having him just spot up, and then the occasional post touch. He's being underutilized in a lot of ways. And you got to remember too, for Carl Towns, he's coming back from an injury, and I don't think he wanted to rock the boat all that much. We are welcoming a new show to iHeart and the DraftKings YouTube channel. It is called Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano. It is an insider's look at the NBA and the culture surrounding the league. Every week, the five-time All-Star and number one pick in the 2010 NBA Draft, John Wall will give his unique perspective on the hottest topics in the league and tell the best behind-the-scenes stories from his time in the NBA. CJ will bring his A-list comedian buddies to keep it light and fire off some hoops takes. Plus, John will be inviting current and former NBA players, friends, and teammates to join the show as well to give their unfiltered accounts of what really goes on in the league from a player's perspective. So check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, the DraftKings YouTube channel, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Ever needed something for your home but don't have the cash or credit to pay for it? Let's chat about how to get what you need when you need it. You can do that at errands. Yep, you can rent to own appliances like washers, dryers, or refrigerators, furniture for your living room or bedroom, even tech like computers and gaming systems. Plus, errands has great brands like HP, Samsung, and Ashley. And you can pay a little at a time until it's yours forever. But here's the cool part. Say you're renting a 65-inch smart TV and decide you don't want it anymore. At Aaron's, you can return it at any time. Or maybe you want to downsize to a 55-inch or upgrade to an 86-inch. You can do that too. Return it, then take home something new. Life's always changing. With Aaron's, your stuff can change right along with it. Keep it, return it, upgrade it. Aaron's fits your life instead of the other way around. So check out your nearest Aaron's store or visit Aaron's.com for more details. Approval isn't guaranteed and some restrictions apply. See your local store for details. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere. Like in the parking lot at your kid's peewee championship game. A trophy bigger than your five-year-old is blocking the rear windshield of the car in front of you. As they reverse into you, you're stuck on defense. And if you don't have the right auto insurance coverage, this crash could drain your athletic fund. So switch to Allstate, save money, and get protected from mayhem like this. Based on coverage selected, subject to terms, conditions, and availability. Savings vary. Carl in spot-up situations last year, just 1.05 points per possession. That's 57th percentile. That's 
okay. That's a slightly above average spot up player. So he's not doing as good out there as a a better role playing forward would do who is an experienced spot up player, right? Uh 56% effective field goal percentage on catch and shoot jumpers, that's good. It's good. But it's not great, right? And like that's kind of the the angle that I'm going at there. But let's stop talking about ship and cat off for a second. I'm sure Timberwolves fans are getting annoyed with me at this point. Uh, for the full season, let's look at the full season last year. The Wolves were 23rd in offensive rating. Biggest thing that hurt them was their, their ISO efficiency. They ran 809 ISOs last year, which was the 13th most in the league, but they converted them only at 0.95 points per possession, which was the 20th best in the league. And the biggest culprit here is Anthony Edwards. And, and again, like I'm not being critical here because Ant's young and he's learning how to play the game. But what if I told you what Anthony Edwards was, or asked you guys to tell me what Anthony Edwards was as a basketball player, like describe him to me, what he's great at, what would you guys tell me? You'd say he's, you know, one of the best athletes in the league. You'd say he's a huge, strong guard that can bully people downhill. You'd tell me he's got all this defensive potential. He's got an alpha dog mentality. What you wouldn't tell me is he's a dead-eye pull-up jump shooter, Right? Like, he takes a lot of them, but you, you wouldn't tell me, like, oh, Ant's just the just a dead-eye pull-up jump shooter. No, he's not. But he takes a ton of them. To give you an idea, Anthony Edwards took 603 pull-up jump shots last year. Only three players in the entire NBA took more. DeMar DeRozan, Luka Doncic, and De'Aaron Fox. The difference is, is DeMar made almost half of them. Luka Doncic made almost 40% of them. De'Aaron Fox made 42% of them. Anthony Edwards made 35% of them. So he's a high, high volume pull-up jump shooter, but not particularly efficient, at least in the regular season. He's been very efficient with his pull-up jump shot in the playoffs, which we'll get to in a minute. But I think that was a big factor in the efficiency for this particular Timberwolves team from last season not doing particularly well. There were 15 players in the entire NBA last year who ran at least 300 ISOs. Anthony Edwards ranked 14th out of 15 players in efficiency because he settled for too many jump shots and he missed too many of them. As a matter of fact, and this is kind of a, a perfect comp, you guys want to know who 15th on that list was? LeBron James. LeBron James was the worst high-volume ISO player in the league last year. Why? Because LeBron James, who has been a very good pull-up jump shooter for the last half decade, couldn't make a damn pull-up jump shot last year. He was atrocious last year. And he was settling for a lot of them. Just go ask Laker fans what they thought about LeBron's jump shot last year, and you'll and you'll understand pretty quickly what I'm talking about. ISO guys like Ant and LeBron, who run a lot of them and settle for a lot of jump shots but aren't making them, are going to suffer in their efficiency, and that's why they both finished towards the bottom. I do like Anthony Edwards' pull-up jumper. It's a really nice counter to his driving attack. He gets great looks because guys are on their heels. I don't want him to stop taking them, but just maybe not 600 of them, right? Like... If that's 400, and on the other 200 possessions, he's a little bit more downhill aggressive, maybe that ends up being something that upticks his efficiency where it should be. And again, the settling for jumpers is a classic young guy problem. It's a young guy problem, and it's an old guy problem. People in the prime of their careers don't do it that much, right? Young guys because they don't know any better. Old guys because they're old. But Ant, Ant is going to eventually have to learn that, that like he's doing the defense a favor when he's taking 600 pull-up jump shots in a season. Um, but he did shoot really well in the postseason, and I think that's that, that's kind of what I see in the long run. What I see in the long run is like 
a good pull-up jump shooter who uses it as a counter to a devastating downhill attack. He was 55% in effective field goal percentage in last year's postseason. The year before that, 57%. So he's career an excellent pull-up jump shooter in the postseason. And he's coming off of an excellent performance in team with Team USA. 19 points per game in all 13 games, including the ex- uh, exhibitions. 57% true shooting. He made 49% field goal percentage on his pull-up jumper, so he made almost half of them. 59% weighted for threes. Now, remember, Steph was the only pull-up jump shooter in the league at volume last year to shoot over 60% in effective field goal percentage. Ant was at 59% with Team USA. So he's riding a hot streak with pull-up jump shooting. If that translates... Then, then we're talking about you know a guy who's a top tier superstar. So, and and then it's not exactly shocking at all why he elevated himself with that Team USA group. But it's really interesting to see that development piece. I just wanted to see him tone it back in terms of shot selection a little bit. Um, he ran 90 pick and rolls with Team USA, scoring 112 points, 1.24 points per possession. As off the charts, a point and a quarter per possession in pick and roll is insane. He's making a leap, like I said earlier right in front of our eyes into superstardom. And again, like when I talk about, you know, the Timberwolves and their long-term ceiling, like you got to remember this was a bad offense last year because they're just letting, like I watched, I was watching that Timberwolves Pelicans game this morning and Ant took four pull-up threes in the first like three and a half minutes of the game. Like, and no one's complaining at him. Like his teammates are letting him They're the entire Timberwolves organization believes in Ant so much that they're letting him work through his mistakes, which is great for his development. But obviously last year that was going to hurt their offensive rating because you have a young guard who's learning how to play on the fly, right? But in the long run, that's going to pay dividends. And I think this year is going to be the year where the Timberwolves feel most serious about their chances. And in that event... I think Ant is going to make those strides, and I think the uh, offense is going to improve as a result. Um, let's take a brief look at two of their other primary shot creators and then another guy that I think could become one this year. So Mike Conley ended up being a perfect fit alongside Anthony Edwards. Why? Because he's a deadly spot-up player. 1.11 points per possession in spot-up situations. Mike Conley had a 70% effective field goal percentage in a Timberwolves jersey on catch-and-shoot jump shots. That's outrageous. 77% when he was unguarded. You just can't leave Mike Conley open. That's a high value add next to a guy like Anthony Edwards that's such a downhill force, right? He already had good existing pick and roll chemistry with Rudy Gobert. Rudy Gobert just sets really good screens and helps you get separation. And Mike Conley is actually one of the best pull-up three-point shooters in the league. In a Timberwolves jersey, 57% effective field goal percentage on pull-up jump shots. That's awesome. As a result of that, 1.16 points per possession in pick and roll with the Wolves. On decent sample, over 200 uh, uh, possessions, that's 94th percentile. So Mike Conley was like the perfect guard to slot alongside Anthony Edwards. Carl Towns last year, uh, still a good post-up shot creator. He ran 114 post-ups for 1.11 points per possession. That was in the 71st percentile. Good hook shot was the foundation there, and then he passed the ball well. Made 49% of his hook shots and made the right reads when teams doubled him. Was not great in ISO last year, 0.89 points per possession. A lot of rip-throughs to the right, dudes sliding with him and staying in front, and him settling for this like really tough floaters over the top, which he only made about 40% of the time, which is not a super efficient shot. Um, so the face-up game's not where it needs to be, but he's still a good post-up player. 
The guy I want to take a closer look at is Jaden McDaniels. He is on the short list of guys, like we mentioned earlier, that is considered in the conversation for best perimeter defender in the world, right? That's what we think of Jaden McDaniels as. But he actually showed a decent amount of offensive pop last year. Averaged a career-high 12 points per game, a career-high 61% true shooting. He ran only, it's really low volume for the record, but we learned from this and, and a lot of interesting stuff on tape. He only ran 62 pick and rolls last year, and those led to 65 points. That's 1.05 points per possession. That's solid. About once a game, you could throw Jaden McDaniels the ball and he could get you a point, right, per possession. That's value there. And a, a big part of it is like, it's a couple of different things. First of all, perimeter defenders. He's getting your third best perimeter defender. So uh, probably a guy who doesn't navigate screens super well. So he gets good separation. Loves to drive left. And then what he does is he gets into your body with these long steps and gathers early. And then he takes like these like fall away shots, like these like short fall away one footed shots, but they're not like one foot fadeaways from 15 feet. He's taking them from like seven, eight feet away from the basket and he can make them. As a matter of fact, he had a 51% effective field goal percentage on pull up jumpers last year on 101 of them. That's decent volume. That's not nothing. Again, that's more than once a game. He also was really good in spot-up situations, uh, 59% effective field goal percentage on catch-and-shoot jump shots, 62% when unguarded, so a good spot-up player, and actually kind of like a, a sneaky good rim finisher. He's a, a, like He'll get these dunks in traffic that you're not expecting where he just kind of jumps over everybody and finishes, shot well at the rim last year. Him continuing to make those strides on the offensive end of the floor alongside Anthony Edwards with what he's capable of as a defensive player, that's what I look at as like the triumvirate of the Timberwolves' future. Anthony Edwards, the superstar. Jade McDaniels is like the Scottie Pippen to him. And then Rudy Gobert is the defensive anchor and the guy who can set good ball screens. Those three together, I, I think, are a really, really interesting foundation in the long run. On the defensive end, the Timberwolves finished 10th in defensive rating, but they were 7th in half-court defense, according to Cleaning the Glass. That's really impressive. Middle of the pack in transition defense for both frequency and efficiency. Not as effective in the paint as you would think, but for a specific reason, and I want to dive into this concept a little bit. So they allowed 49.7 points in the paint uh, per 100 possessions, which was 15th in the NBA. Obviously, you expect that to be higher with Rudy Gobert, right? They give up 18.3 restricted area makes per game, which was the ninth most in the NBA. But on those shots, teams only shot 65.6%, which was the 11th best in the NBA. This was a schematic approach from the Timberwolves that I thought was really interesting. And you noticed it in ISO and in pick and roll situations. So in pick and roll, they prioritize keeping Rudy Gobert as close to the roll man as possible. They trusted their point of attack defenders to get over the top of screens and force the ball handler into tough shots. In drive and kick situations, you, you guys might remember a game last year where uh, uh, where Kyle Anderson was bitching and moaning at Anthony Edwards and, and Rudy Gobert for overhelping on drives and actually cost him this particular game. I think it was a overtime loss, if I remember correctly, but both Rudy Gobert and Anthony Edwards, I think it was against the Brooklyn Nets. They toasted off a game giving up wide open threes by overhelping. But this is a this is a concept that is important. Like obsession with shutting down the paint made so much more sense years ago than it does now. Because when you obsess with shutting down the paint, you give good looks to NBA players in the year 2023. NBA players in the year 2023 are knocking those things down. 
And so it actually is better to give up driving lanes and force contested layups or contested short-range shots in the paint, trusting them to miss more than half of them, which is less than a point per possession, rather than giving up these wide-open catch-and-shoot shots on the perimeter where you're getting torched, right? And, and, and like it, that was an approach for the Timberwolves all season. Trust your perimeter defenders. Rudy, stay with the roll man whenever you can, unless you absolutely have to. Oh, if Kyle Anderson, someone's driving on Kyle Anderson and he's on his hip and he's got an angle to go to the basket, but Kyle's going to get a contest, just let him do it. If he finishes a tough scooping layup high off the glass over Kyle Anderson, great shot. Nice job. Two points for you. But if Rudy steps over and gives up a dunk, that's not good. Or you help out of the strong side corner and you give up, or to help out of the weak side corner, one of the two, and you give up a wide open three, not a good job, right? So I think I think the Timberwolves actually have a really smart, modern approach to defense, and I, and I think it's a big part of why they were so successful. Perimeter defenders are are the equivalent of rim protection in the modern NBA. Containing ball handlers will protect the paint for you. And it was a really smart approach. They did a really nice job preventing teams from getting good looks at three. They allowed just 32.5 three-point attempts per 100 possessions. That was the fifth best mark in the entire NBA. As a matter of fact, they actually got bad luck. Teams shot 37% from three. That was the 24th worst mark in the NBA. So teams shot really well against them. Now, in a large sample size, they don't like blaming luck. They're probably leaving the wrong shooters open. That probably is a little too much of like overhelping at the wrong time, right? But that was a significant factor in their defense not being where it should have been because they finished 10th in defense. I don't think they were the 10th best defense in terms of what they were capable of. I think they were as capable of uh, they were capable of being a top five defense. So clearly there was some stuff that got lost in there. Another big part of it was rebounding. They were 27th in rebound percentage. They gave up three putbacks per game last year, which was the eighth most in the NBA. And then lastly was turnovers. They gave up, uh, they had 15 turnovers per 100 possessions last year. That was the sixth most in the NBA. So turning the basketball over, that's going to always compromise your defense by giving up uh, like runouts the other way. And the Timberwolves were a very good transition defense off of steals last year. They were middle of the pack in general. But off of steals, they did a really good job of sprinting back. As a matter of fact, if I remember correctly, they might have been best in defense off of steals, according to Cleaning the Glass. But even the best off of steals is a really high offensive rating and much higher than your defensive rate or than your uh than you would hold their offensive rating to in a static half court situation. So turning the basketball over too much, that's going to cause problems. Giving up too many offensive rebound putbacks, that's going to cause problems. And then you hope that you hope that maybe that 37% three-point shooting was luck. You rebound better, you take better care of the basketball, teams shoot more normal next year. Now you got yourself a top 5 defense. Um, and again, those numbers are for the full season. When they had Anthony Edwards, Jaden McDaniels, and Kyle Anderson next to Rudy Gobert, they were absolutely stifling, like devastatingly good on defense. So regardless of whatever they decide to do with Cat, all four of those guys are still on the roster. That punch will always be in their back pocket. If they end up in a certain matchup and they need defense, they can bench Cat and play their perimeter guys next to Mike Conley, and they have a really good chance to win games that way. So in, uh, in, to tie it all together as a prediction, the West is a total shit show. So picking the order of seeding is impossible. Like, for the record, I think the Wolves are going to be a lot better this year than they were last year. Here's the problem. 
The Mavs are going to be a lot better than they were last year. Full training camp with Kyrie and Luka Doncic, and they added good front court players to help with the dirty work. That's going to help them. The Kings are going to be a little bit worse than they were last year, in my opinion, but they were a three seed last year. The Thunder, they're adding Chet Holmgren, and all their guys are a year older. They're going to be much better than they were last year. The Clippers, if Kawhi Leonard and, and Paul George are healthy all year, they're better than last year, right? The Warriors, they added Chris Paul. Uh, you know, they like I, I just think in general, in terms of chemistry, getting Jordan Poole out of the picture, they'll probably be better next year. Because remember, they couldn't win on the road because they all hated each other. Or I shouldn't say they all hated each other, but the, the schism that was going on between Jordan Poole and some of the other young guys and the older guys, that affected things. I think the Warriors are going to be more focused and be better this year than they were last year. The Suns and Lakers are both just more talented than last year. Both of them added more role players, and they were already really good. And the Nuggets are the defending champs. I just listed, what's that, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight teams. So, like, even though I think the Wolves are going to be better than last year, theoretically, everybody else is too. So, it's hard for me to be like, oh, they're going to be a five seed because it's it's just, who are they jumping, right? So, if I had to make a prediction right now, even though I do think the Wolves will be better, the West is going to be a bloodbath. They're going to be right around 500 and they're going to be in the play-in again. But they're going to be more dangerous this year than they were last year, in my opinion. But that's just the nature of the NBA these days. That's not a shot at the, the Timberwolves or anything like that. All right, guys, I have three mailbag questions for you before we get out of here tonight. First one. Obviously, there's a lot of luck involved, but there are but are there any common traits you see among stars that can stay healthy year over year? Like for a guy like Jokic, is there something in his build that gives him that edge? I do not think there's any rhyme or reason to injury luck. I literally think it's luck. Like... I've been told my whole life, and I still firmly believe that working on leg strength is the best way to prevent lower body injuries, like just having a really solid base, because that's how you absorb impact when you land, right? But Jamal Murray has a legendary leg strength program, like absolutely legendary, and that guy tore his ACL. Like, go look up stories about what Jamal Murray's dad had him do to build leg strength. That dude works harder on your legs, on his legs than probably anybody listening to this video. That dude's insane tore his ACL. Everyone says bigs get hurt all the time, but Nikola Jokic is like the Iron Man. You know, everyone says freaky athletes that jump super high will get hurt. No, LeBron was a freaky athlete, maybe the freakiest athlete of all time and didn't get hurt until he got old. So I don't really think there is a rhyme or reason to it. I think, I think it's just luck. And, uh, I wish I had a better explanation than that, but that's, that's pretty much how I feel about it right now. Next mailbag question from Michael. Why do certain fans believe that point-of-attack defense doesn't matter in the modern NBA? In regards to Steph Curry, some people downplay the importance of point-of-attack defense. Why is that? I do think people value point-of-attack defense. Um, I do think the matchup attacking thing is a little overplayed because a couple of different things. Um, you, you need point-of-attack defense in terms of a person who can fulfill that role. But it doesn't necessarily have to be Steph. Just like... For instance, if I've got uh, two wings on my roster and one of them's LeBron, who's older and wants to rest, like I can have Jared Vanderbilt, who's theoretically playing the four. I can have him chase around on the perimeter and have LeBron play the low man. You can find responsibilities on the floor for lesser defenders, and and like you'll you'll see that with the Warriors. Like if he's 
if Steph is on the floor with Gary Payton, they're going to have Gary Payton run the point of attack defense and probably have Steph guard an off-ball shooter, right? That, that's just that's the way that they usually set these sorts of things up. Now, matchup attacking is the downside, right? Okay, okay, it's a playoff series. Uh, you run a couple screening actions, get a switch. Now we're posting up so-and-so on the block. There is value in that for an offense, but I actually think it has more to do with the other end of the floor. Like, when the Lakers relentlessly attacked Steph, I think it was a big strategy to try to fatigue him. Like, I think they were trying to wear him out so that he'd miss shots, and he did. But why did that work? That worked because Jordan Poole and Klay Thompson fell apart. So Steph literally had to do everything, and he couldn't because the Lakers were attacking him relentlessly on the other end of the floor. The truth is, is that attacking a player stagnates you. If you spend an entire game matchup attacking, that's really stagnant offense. The ball's not moving. It's a lot of ISO, a lot of post-up. You don't actually want to – that's bad for your offense in the long run. Like, generally speaking, if they're – if they're just attacking, you know, uh, let, let's say let's say for this particular team, like let's say that they're just attacking Mike Conley every time, I'd be like, go ahead. You're going to stagnate your offense. You're becoming predictable. Mike Conley's going to figure out how to get more stops in the long run. We'll help and rotate. But if you only have one offensive option, then they can attack and fatigue. Let's look at the 2022 Warriors. Jordan Poole played much better. In that playoff run. Steph had more offensive support. Andrew Wiggins played better in that playoff run. So as a result. Attacking Steph was a fool's errand. It's going to stagnate your offense. And cause problems. And he doesn't need to do everything on the other end. Go look at the game logs. For the Warriors two years ago. And look through the points. There are a lot of games in there. Where Steph was just a cog in the system. And that's because that team was better. Played better. And so if you would have attacked Steph, you never would have fatigued him because he's one of the most con- uh, uh, you know, conditioned athletes in the league. And he didn't need to do everything that year. So I think some of that stuff is overplayed. Like, like as long as you have point of attack defense in the lineup, as long as you have help defense in the lineup, as long as you have rim protection in the lineup, you're going to get stops even if you have a weak defender in that group. It's it, like... It's just, it's, it's, it, that, that's a perfect example of why basketball is an art and not a science. It's so much more complicated than it looks like on the surface. Why was Steph getting attacked a narrative in this series this year? But why didn't, why didn't the Mavs have any success with it? Luka's the best matchup attacker in the league, right? Why didn't he have any success with it? Because they didn't need Steph to score 35 to have any chance of winning. The, the Warriors literally needed Steph to score 35 to have any chance of beating the Lakers in any game. So, and like, and again, like another, it's mostly the same rosters, the same top seven guys. That's the other crazy part about it. Like it was the same guys that were a lesser basketball team this year, but that's the intricacy of the organism of a basketball team. One thing gets a little bit off and then it falls apart. One guy's in a little bit of a funk Suddenly more responsibilities on another guy, it falls apart. Andrew Wiggins not in as good a rhythm because he took an absence from the team. Like and it and it can fall apart that way. Clay Thompson, best perimeter initiation, you know, half court shot creation season I've ever seen from him. In terms of like filling the void when Steph was out, making plays in the half court. And then he 
he got into the playoffs and couldn't make anything. Like, what are the odds of that? that? Like, I don't have an explanation for that. He just, he got into a funk. Those of you guys who've played basketball for a really long time will know what I'm talking about. Sometimes you're playing really well, and then sometimes you have a week or two where you're just not playing very well. And, and like, you can be a relentless worker and, like, be in the weight room and be in the gym working on your shot and be like, man, I got to get out of this funk. And then you go play the next day and you suck again compared to what you're hoping. Like, that's – that. It, this game is so complicated. It is so it, it detailed and intricate. Like, it, it's, it, it's not something that is that simple. But to answer the question, you know, to kind of tie it all together, point of attack defense does matter. Steph Curry getting attacked in the Lakers series had a lot more to do with other issues on the Warriors roster than Steph itself. The best example of that is that the Mavericks had absolutely no luck attacking Steph the previous year. All right, last one. This mailbag question is from Chile. Why is it that we see less and less players like Rondo, CP3, Steve Nash, and Jason Kidd, point guards with tremendous IQ that can navigate games for you? So, I don't know, I don't think anybody in particular is to blame for this, but the reality is is that we had a bunch of guards come into the league that were more heliocentric shot creators. So, back in the day, you your stars didn't bring the ball up the floor. And so you needed a guard who would bring the ball up the floor and set up your stars. But then in the modern NBA, we've discovered, no, you don't really need to do that. So now a lot of guys are becoming point guards that in a different era would not have been a point guard. Like James Harden is effectively a point guard. He calls himself a two guard, but he's basically a point guard. But he's a 6'5", two guard build, right? Like Russell Westbrook 15 years ago would have been a two guard. In the modern NBA, he's a a point guard because he's one of your best players. You want the ball in his hands and you're going to run a lot of spread, pick and roll and iso. Like you guys can kind of get what I'm going at here. The league has transitioned, and we've seen all these other guards doing it. Damian Lillard, scoring guard. Steph Curry, you know, scoring guard, although although he does it off the ball. Russell Westbrook, scoring guard. All these guys are putting up 30 points a game. And so what do you think all the young guards are going to do? All the young guards are going to want to play like these guys. And so you're going to see more and more of that. And and for the record, like, the whole – I'll take Rajon Rondo for an example. That archetype is not as valuable now as it used to be. Because he's a bad off-ball player. And by the way, when Rondo was a champion with the Lakers, he made like 40% of his catch-and-shoot threes. Like, it's something he couldn't do earlier in his career. But like, the the non-scoring threat, look-to-make-a-play-first type of guard doesn't have as much value in the modern NBA as it did 15 years ago. And that's, that's, not, a, that's not a shot at those guys. It's just the way the game has changed. Nowadays, it's like you have to be a threat to score if you have the ball in your hand. Like, a real threat. All of the best perimeter initiators in the league are over 25 points a game. It's extremely rare to see a guy who's, like, really in the conversation with the best players in the league who only averages 23 points per game, right? Like, Jokic is a freak. But it's because he plays with so many good off-ball players that he kind of acts more as a distributor. And what did he do the previous year? He averaged 30 points a game when he didn't have those guys. So you get the point. Like, but I, the game, it's just a, 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 a product of the game changing, but I, I don't think we're going to see too many like set up guards in, in the future. I, I just don't think the league calls for that specific skill set anymore the way that it did in the past when they needed to navigate these congested half court environments. And, and the other part of it too, is like, think about the way the, the post players have changed. Like you go back 
25 years ago, and it's like you've got Shaq, and you've got Hakeem Olajuwon, and you've got Carl Malone, and you've got you know uh, um, uh, uh, Patrick Ewing, and like there's just you can go on and on and on. There's like a million post up bigs. Who's gonna Who's gonna feed them the basketball, right? Like, but now it's like I don't need a guy who can feed the post. I need a guy who can run pick and roll. I don't need a guy who can feed the post. I need a guy who can beat a center on a switch. So I, I think I think it's just the nature of the way the game has changed. All right, guys, that's all I have for today. I hope you have an amazing weekend. We will be back on Monday with number 15. Let's chat about how to get what you need for your home when you don't have a lot of cash or credit. You can do that at Aaron's. Rent to own appliances, furniture, and tech from top brands like HP, Samsung, and Ashley. But say you don't need it anymore, no problem. At Aaron's, you can return your product at any time or even upgrade it for something new. Life's always changing. With Aaron's, your stuff can change right along with it. Keep it, return it, upgrade it. Aaron's fits your life instead of the other way around. Approval isn't guaranteed, and some restrictions apply. See your local store for details. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80, live March 20th from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Introducing the Lisa Chill Collection, your answer to hot nights. These mattresses beat the heat with ultra-cool covers, whisking away heat for the perfect sleep temperature. Save up to $460 on chill mattresses and get two free pillows when you shop now. iHeart listeners can save an extra $50 off by visiting lisa.com forward slash iHeart. That's l-e-e-s-a dot com slash iHeart. Exclusions apply. See lisa.com for more details.